So who here remembers the famous line from the movie A Few Good Men? I would almost guarantee that if you haven't even seen that movie, that you probably know the line. It's that iconic. It goes something like this. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Well, that famous line, in a way, explains our lives, doesn't it? We so often think that we can't handle the truth, so we try to not face reality. In fact, we do as much as we can to try to convince ourselves and others that everything is the opposite of reality. We do things like post filtered pictures on Instagram, or we tell ourselves that we're only going to watch one episode of that new show before we binge two seasons. Or we buy those little mini cans of pop and then drink three or four of them at a time telling ourselves we're being healthy. I'm guilty of that one. But we don't just do that with small things, do we? We also do this when hardship comes. We look for or try to see things differently just to make it through. I remember my time during high school sports. Um, We, uh, at our school, used a motivational statement um, all the time. I just remember it vividly, and it was this, that pain is weakness leaving the body. I'm sure many of you have heard that before. First off, what does that even mean? Pain is weakness leaving the body. And second, there's no way that me or any of the other students uh, believed that. There's nothing scientific Um, that tells us that pain leaving the body, um, or weakness, yeah. But I just used, um, we used that to keep ourselves moving forward during a tough race, during a, a game against a hard opponent. You see, we often just use statements like that just to fight to convince everyone else and ourselves that everything is okay during a tough moment. Well, Psalm 46 is a psalm written in the midst of trouble. And not just a difficult race or a a hard game. Though the time and place of this psalm and even the author is debated, one thing that's not is that it was written in the time of immense battle, where victory over an enemy seemed uncertain. Let's look again at verses 1 and 2. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. What amazing words. I mean, what comforting words, right? Imagine the Bible this morning without these words in it. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Wow. But my guess is that if you're like me, on some level, these words may just be a motivational statement to you. Something that you don't really believe, but just use to get your mind off of the bad things and to keep yourself moving forward. Well, friends, this psalm is not just a motivational statement. And verses 1 and 2 are not written to escape reality, but to confidently face reality. See, this is the psalmist's battle cry in war. And if this psalm was just a motivational statement, there would be no need for verses 2b through 11. So when we read this psalm, we 
can know that the author believed it. So how can we too follow in the psalmist's footsteps and not just say these words, but truly believe them? How do we speak them not just in an attempt to feel better, but to believe them to our core as a battle cry of life? Well, as we examine Psalm 46, the psalmist shows us that to believe those words to our core, there are two realities that we need to remember as believers. And these are those realities, that that life is hard and that God is powerful. That life is hard and that God is powerful. So let's look at these two realities and then let's look at what God calls us to do in light of those realities in order for us to truly believe that God is our help. So first, life is hard. The imagery given in our psalm is severe, overwhelming, and certain. Let's look again at verses two and three. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. See, water or sea in the Bible is often a picture of overwhelming chaos. We see this with the flood in Genesis 7 that destroyed all flesh and killed everything on the earth. In Exodus, coming to the Red Sea meant certain death for the Israelites. That was until God provided a way through. And even then, God used the Red Sea to destroy the Egyptians. You see, the picture of roaring waves with unrelenting force is something that can't help but bring fear. Think about being swallowed up and plunged beneath the water. That's a scary thought. See, this is an image of life. Life is hard because there is a very real reality that unrelenting, overwhelmingly hard things happen that we have no control over. See, we often try to predict the troubles that we're going to have, or when trouble comes, we try to control them, but in all reality, we have no control. You see, life is not like one of my children's favorite books, The Three Little Pigs. So those of you who remember the story, it kind of goes like this. There's three pigs that are brothers. They Um, go to build their own homes. The first two pigs are, you know, not prepared, don't care, aren't worried. So they build their homes out of uh, straw and sticks. Well, the big bad wolf comes along and blows their houses down. And just as he's about to get them, they run off to their brother's house. Now, the third pig, he was the prepared one. He was the one who had everything under control and he built his house out of of, uh, bricks. So the big bad wolf comes along, tries to blow the house down, and he can't, and everybody lives happily ever after. That's not how life is often, is it? What often happens is you build your house out of bricks, the big bad wolf comes along, blows it down, destroys everything, eats the pigs, and just leaves chaos, and that's it. (laughs) Isn't that life often? See, life can bring unrelenting devastation, and without warning... If you haven't met devastation yet, just wait. It'll come. See, most of us have met that kind of devastation, and we need to face it. See, the psalmist does not ignore that there are raging storms, but recognizes them. 
Have you ever seen, um, oh, so the, the psalmist then gives an image of earth giving way and mountains being cast into the sea. Have you ever seen a mountain collapse? I would venture that no one here would say yes to that question. Imagine this morning that you turned on the news and the Rocky Mountains had just crumbled. They were a a pile of rubble. You see, that kind of thought is almost out of the realm of possibility. Why? Because mountains are strong, stable, and steady. They've been there as long as we can remember, and they seem like they're going to be there forever. See, our greatest troubles often come when those things that are most stable in our lives give way. Maybe you're like me. When I was 17 years old, a a junior in high school, my mother passed away from cancer. My mother was my rock. She was the person who was always there, someone that I could always run to when I was scared, had questions um, that I could come to enjoy. And all of a sudden, she was gone. And see, today, 16 years later, it still affects me the same. And this is the way that our problems work. They don't just last for a moment. But today, the, the death of my mother affects me. You know, she's never been able to meet my kids. She never see, saw me graduate high school or college, never has met my wife or seen um, me get married. And those things hurt, and they continue to hurt. We've all had something like this. The loss of a job. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've had financial ruin or um, abuse or neglect. Maybe there's utter loneliness that's come from trouble. I could go on and on. See, life is hard because devastation can come at any moment and just wreck us. And we need to acknowledge that. But often we feel like we can't, don't we? Have you ever been told that Christians don't get discouraged? Or maybe even that Christians shouldn't get discouraged? Well, friends, that's simply not true. William Bridge, a Puritan pastor from the 1600s, wrote a book called A Lifting Up for the Downcast. If you've never read this book, which I would venture probably not, um, I, I would recommend this a thousand times to you. It's just an amazing little book. I mean, in this book, he discusses how normal it is for Christians to get discouraged. He begins one chapter saying, Are you so far disquieted, discouraged, cast down, as to refuse the word, promise, or consolation that is brought unto you, so far may discouragements of the saints extend. And then he quotes Psalm 77, which says, In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. What's his point here? That Christians can become so discouraged that an encouraging word from anyone has no effect. It's like there's a wall there and it just bounces off. But he goes on and says, are you so far discouraged, disquieted, cast down that your very body feels the smart of your discouragements? That you not only refuse the promise and all comfort for your soul, 
but even for your body? And then he quotes Psalm 102, which says, My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. What is he getting at here? He's getting that discouragement for the Christian can go far beyond just not being able to hear encouraging words. But it can go to the place where we can't eat, we can't sleep. Our body feels miserable because of the discouragement we have. Have you ever felt this way? Are you here this morning and so discouraged that you just feel numb? Maybe you woke up this morning and you couldn't eat. Maybe you've had a friend who tried to give you a word of encouragement this this week and you just couldn't hear it. Friends, our psalmist here in Psalm 46 is showing us that those feelings are normal. It's normal to feel discouraged. It's normal to feel overwhelmed. You see, verse 2 doesn't say, therefore we will not fear because there's nothing to fear. It says we will fear though, and then lists a picture of utter devastation. It shows us that discouragement and feeling overwhelmed are normal. And acknowledging those things is something that we have to do if we truly want to find peace. So what do we know? We know that life is hard. We all live in this reality. Honestly, I probably didn't even need to uh, go through that point this morning. But there is also another reality that we live in that we need to remember. That's that God is powerful. God is powerful. Let's look at verses four through nine. They say, is there a river, or there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. God is powerful. But what does it mean that God is powerful? Well, theologian Herman Bavinck says this about about God's power. He says, God is the creator and therefore the owner, possessor, and Lord of all things. Apart from him, there is no existence or ownership. He alone has absolute authority. 1 Chronicles 29 uh, speaks of God's power this way. It says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. To say that God is powerful also means that God can do anything he wants. Job 23.13 says, but he stands alone. And who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. It means that nothing can overcome him. 
Proverbs 21.30 says, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. It means that nothing is too hard for him. In Genesis 18, when um, Sarah is told in her old age that she will have a child and she just can't believe that there's any way that'll happen. God says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. You see, when we think about God's power versus our problems, it might be helpful to think of it this way. See, my daughter Maggie, um, lately, she's sitting over there, has been telling me how strong I am. She'll ask me to pick something up and she'll say, Daddy, you're so strong. You're so strong, Daddy. You see, she thinks that I am like some Hercules. Because to her, I'm really strong. But I want you to think this morning of me compared to Quentin Nelson, the all-pro guard for the Indianapolis Colts. So think of Quentin Nelson standing here, 6'5", 330 pounds, versus me, 5'9", a buck 60. Now, Quentin Nelson's over here, and he gets down in his three-point stance, and I'm standing here, and somebody yells, hike. I am done for. I'm knocked out cold. Somebody better call an ambulance. You see, me compared to Quentin Nelson is, there's no chance. I have no chance. But to my daughter, I'm, I'm strong. And so often our problems seem that way. They seem so strong, but compared to God, they're nothing. And honestly, this example that I've given you fails comparison in comparison to the power of God over our problems. So the things that overwhelm us, the times that we see no way out, the problems in life that seem so powerful, they fail in comparison to God. Theologian John Frame says this about God's power. He says that he does all things that are proverbially impossible, which includes bringing what is out of what is not. Hear that again. He brings what is out of what is not. He makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. Romans 8, 28. And friends, we see the ultimate display of God's power through Jesus Christ. Jesus has the ultimate authoritative power that we see in Psalm 46. If you ever wanted a text that shows Jesus is God, compare the imagery that we have in Psalm 46 to Luke 8, verses 22 through 25. They say this, One day he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him? See, friends, Jesus controls the waves. 
Jesus, who walked on this earth, is the same God who can utter his voice and melt the earth. Think about that for a second. That is the power that Jesus has. But how did Jesus execute his power? Christ, in all of his power, executed it by humbly laying down his life in love for us. That he could powerfully pick it back up again, conquering death and paying our penalty. He used his power not to keep himself from dying, not to stop the authorities, not to, in that moment, authoritatively melt the earth, but to sacrifice for us, to love us, to make us on his side. He does all things that are proverbially impossible, which is bringing what is out of what is not. He makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. See, Jesus, because of his love, used his power to make us right with him, to make a way for us, to cleanse us of our sin, to bring us into the family of God. Because of God's power, we can be friends with God rather than his enemies. And God lovingly executes his power to make things right, to change us, and to glorify himself through it. And friends, that same Jesus that executes his power for our salvation does the same thing with our troubles. Friends, let me tell you this morning that Jesus has this. The troubles in life that are so overwhelming, God has promised that he will make every one of them work for good in our lives. He will do that through his power. You may not see it. It may seem impossible. But just like he saved you, doing the proverbially impossible, bringing you from death to life. He is using the same power to help you th- to make your unbelievable troubles turn out for good. So now what? We face these two realities that this text so vividly puts before us, that life is hard and that God is powerful. But what do we do with that? When overwhelming trouble comes without notice, what do we do? Well, God calls us to do this. Cling to Jesus. We know our troubles are big, but God is bigger. So we simply look to Jesus and know that it's gonna be okay. We cling to Jesus. To Jesus. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. They say, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still. You see, this in this statement, God is making a twofold statement. First, in his power, he is proclaiming to the waves and the turbulent nations, be still. It's an authoritative exclamation of his power. But also in that authoritative exclamation, he is calling his people to be still. See, the reality of the hardness of life and the fact that we have little control over it calls us to be still. Be still. 
When devastation comes, we come to the place where we can no longer hide from or control our trouble. See, this was me as a 17-year-old kid. My mom got sick uh, when I was a freshman. And for several years, I just tried to hide. I tried to focus on school, on sports, on friends, on anything else, just hoping that one day mom would just get better. And the devastation that came with her passing was something I just couldn't hide from anymore. It was so overwhelming that I just had to stop. Are there problems in your life right now that you're trying to hide from? Are there problems in your life that you're trying to control, but maybe you're just failing miserably? Cling to Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Cry out to him, pray to him, and cling to him, trusting that he powerfully controls the outcome of whatever's going on in your life. See, God is not just calling you to stop, though, or to be still but also to know that he is God. What is he talking about here to know that he is God? Well, this goes back to the psalmist's exclamation in verse one. Let's look at it again. Who is God? He is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. See, refuge and strength are specific here. Refuge is a defensive or external aspect of our salvation. God, who is all-powerful, is in whom we find shelter. He protects us, and in trouble, we run to him. In the raging storms of life, God is our lifeboat. He is our shield, our fortress, our protector. But God is also our strength, Strength here implies the offensive aspect. God within us empowers us in our weakness for action. God gives you the strength to make it through the trouble, then gives you the wisdom that you need and the power to keep going. See, we often think we can't handle it on our own or that we can handle it on our own, but when we face reality, we just have to trust that God is our strength. When trouble comes, we don't just stop but we rest in him and look to him for the power to make it through. We cling to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon once said of this passage, we are as weak by nature as bruised reeds, but God is our strength. We never know what strength is until our own weakness drive us to trust his omnipotence. We never understand how safe our refuge is until all other refuges fail us. You see, God gives us the unmistakable realities that life is hard and that he is powerful to take our eyes off ourselves and our strength and our man-made refuges and to look to him and trust in him. And so we cling to him. And finally, friends, we cling to Jesus because he is a very present help in trouble. Just think on that for a second. He is our very present help in trouble. I once heard it said that the greater your troubles, the more present God's help is to you. 
And we see that in verses four and five, that those who are near to God, God is with them. He helps them when the morning dawns. Friends, God's presence and help are immediate. Whatever you're going through, when your spouse dies, when your marriage is struggling, when that cancer diagnosis comes, when you lose your job and you just don't know how you're going to put food on the table, when depression and anxiety overwhelm, when you have that broken relationship, you just don't know how it's going to get mended. When you have that wayward child and you don't know how they're going to come back. In your immense loneliness, he does not wait to help you. As soon as your troubles are there, he is there. So this weekend, when you feel flattened, maybe overwhelmed and discouraged in the war of life, face the reality that, yes, life is hard. But God is powerful and cling to Jesus. Proclaiming from the depths of your soul the battle cry that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I thank you for this word that, can, that tells us and affirms us and guides us into trusting that you are our very present help in trouble. And therefore, we don't need to fear. Lord, I pray that you would be with the people of College Park this week. Lord, that the troubles that they are going through in life, Lord, that the power that those troubles have that they would just be unashamedly aware of how those troubles fail in comparison to God's power. Lord, I pray that you would give them strength, you would give them courage, Lord, that you would help them to keep going. Lord, we love you and we need you this morning. And we thank you for your goodness to us. In your name I pray, amen.